Welcome to Shaping Healthcare, a podcast by Sidious Tech. Some of the great minds in the world are constantly striving to solve the healthcare industry's greatest challenges with technology, creativity, and agility. With every episode of the Shaping Healthcare podcast, we will take you deeper into the world of healthcare and life sciences and give you a perspective into what it takes to build a human-first, technologically-enabled healthcare world. I'm your host, Laurel Rockle. Joining us today is Randy Streit, the Senior Director of Consulting for Government Programs at Fluid Edge Consulting, a Sidious Tech company. Randy is an acclaimed expert in health plan management, bringing over 20 years of rich experience in the healthcare industry, particularly in enhancing health plan functional areas like Medicare STARS, financial performance, and analytics. His role at Fluid Edge has been pivotal in driving the development of innovative strategies for health plan management, particularly in the Medicare Advantage star rating and plan performance arenas. His extensive experience, including an impressive tenure at Capital Blue Cross, has solidified his reputation as a go-to authority in health plan strategy and innovation. Randy's deep engagement in the intersection of healthcare policy, technology, and plan performance makes him a valuable resource in the field of health plans. Randy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So glad to have you today and just share your expertise on this particular area of healthcare technology. And I'm always personally very intrigued what brings these different experts into the specific fields that they're in. And so what specifically drew you to the field of healthcare? Well, first, thank you, Laurel, for having me on the podcast. I'm excited to be here and connect and chat. My career path has been somewhat opportunistic with having exposure to build roles with expanding my knowledge base under guidance of mentors as well. Identifying commonalities of experience and opportunities allowed me to highlight similarities, but learn specific nuances, lines of business or product or function. These roles have also had the, given me the opportunity to serve the community, which led me to, I think, where I am today, serve the community through initiatives designed to improve health and wellness. Medicare for me personally, has an opportunity to help my grandparents with their current life status, as well as my parents now aging into Medicare as well. So it gives me an opportunity to give back to those help me along the years. Certainly having a personal connection to what you're doing makes a lot of sense. And I would imagine that it helps to, I don't know, add an extra level of fulfillment to what you do. And I know that anyone I talk to in the healthcare fields and how they got into it, it's all about helping people and helping those around them. So thank you. And as we get started here, and we're specifically talking about the 2024 star ratings. Can you kind of set the backdrop here, the landscape of healthcare, especially in the realm of these Medicare stars and performance metrics, how have they evolved from the start of your career? We've seen performance metrics evolve from mostly transactional in nature, so process-oriented Two expectations or what I think drives member experience is the member expectation leading into that purchase. So the recent star rating model has seen shifts in measure weights to underscore the importance of the experience over process measures, but it also includes measures and rating factors that evolve in focusing on condition management, mental wellness, and health equity that's coming up here in 2026, I believe. Health plans have built departments and communication channels to educate and inform cross-functional areas, as well as indirect impact on star ratings. 
from a technology perspective, I mean, we've made significant advances in the last couple of years, but technology advances really help plans impact how quickly they are able to identify and react to the changing health status of its memberships from relying on paper claims and all the delays that brought in to almost real-time communication of information really speeds up the reaction time. But being able to connect those electronic medical records or health information exchanges, obtain non-traditional data sources, and quickly analyze how changing health status allows health plans to pivot as and where needed. The Medicare population is also changing. So I mentioned my grandparents and also my parents. Those are two different generations, obviously. The incoming Medicare population, the baby boomer, so to speak, they're quicker to adopt technology and tools. I think one of the benefits of COVID expedited or magnified advanced some of that adoption curve out of necessity. But the members aging into Medicare are more likely to be connected than years past. They also react differently. Brand loyalty, which the greatest generation was very firm and didn't make many movements, the baby boomers tend to make changes quicker. So the brand loyalty that product plans may have relied on years past, uh, it's quickly limited and eroding. Yeah, when we consider the generations there and the baby boomers is such a large population to be coming into Medicare. So certainly, especially also considering this evolving criteria for the 2024 star ratings, healthcare organizations really need to make sure they're on their game, if you will, with that. And so how do you think healthcare organizations should be strategic in how they invest in their product design and their administrative processes to really better align with those sort of changes? Yeah. One of the benefits of the Medicare STARS community is that it's relatively small. So we meet each other. We are paths crossed many times. Uh, 2018, I attended a Gorman Health Conference. The session was led by Melissa Smith. And she always talks, and that one as well as conferences after, she always talks about the three Ds, doctors, dollars, and drugs, the three basics of plan offering, the doctor network. Uh, premiums and cost sharing and formularies. They always remain at the forefront of product design. Additionally, supplemental benefits are becoming more of an entitlement, but they also get attention. Over-the-counter benefits, gym membership, transportation assistance, hearing coverage, vision coverage, and food assistance. These can be product differentiators as well. So plants really need to balance and be intentional in offering, marketing, and promoting utilization of these supplemental benefits to help them differentiate themselves within their market. From an administrative perspective, operational efficiencies, speed to intervention, and accurate, timely, and complete data sets can lead to higher value impacts for the membership as well as the health plan. Two things, Medicare-specific focus with the health plan, especially if they have other multiple lines of business, having an intentional focus on Medicare, as well as an alignment of organization goals and incentives are two organizational levers that can lead to performance improvement as well. In light of recent trends, how do you see these star ratings influencing the consumer behavior, particularly in terms of premium buy-downs, the attraction towards the $0 premium? What should carriers or payers be mindful of in that sort of context? And the population tends to be a little bit more transient as well as mobile, moving from plan to plan, value-driven, especially with zero premiums and premium buy-downs. There's more of a value focus there. But plans that are losing the quality bonus payment with the lower rebate percentages with the lower star rating from 24, 
the product and actuarial teams should be thinking about it. They probably have already started thinking about from the release and plan preview to in September of what, how they're going to approach 2025 product designs. But the consumer behavior is highly sensitive to value perception, pulling back benefits from their current levels in 2024 to 2025. These would be intentional and well thought out, fully leveraging disease management programs to realize healthcare cost savings reducing admin costs, embedding and sharing supplemental benefits will help product teams maintain the premium levels. And it certainly sounds more competitive, right? As people start to move from plan to plan to follow that value. And what are your suggestions for how healthcare plans should address internal contract competition within their markets? What are some of those key factors that will define success in that competitive landscape? Yeah, health plans that have multiple H contracts. So one plan offering HML products and another one offering PPO products as an example. It's an internal competition. So members may stay with the same company, but shifts H contracts. And that may negatively influence star rating because of the way the model is designed up. But being intentional in the market strategy, having a long-term market strategy in play will help that. So if it's an intentional shifting membership from HMO to PPO or gearing down a product versus another one, it just be an understanding and intentional with product differentiators as well as price points. So if a zero premium is no longer sustainable in the marketplace, being ahead of that curve as opposed to reacting in the future. One aspect that carriers or plans can do is engage membership communicate effectively and efficiently throughout the year within CMS guidelines, but be intentional with the messaging with their marketplace. Yeah. And certainly risk adjustment is a critical component of plan performance. And as we're looking forward to 2024 and the future 2025, what sort of innovative risk assessment activities do you believe will really help with that pivot for healthcare organizations in order to maintain or improve those ratings that you mentioned? At risk adjustment, I always think about a complete, accurate, and timely data acquisition, processing, and submission. It sounds really boring, but it's a core business function. And when I was with the health plan, I always let my colleague know that led risk adjustment that her activities funded my STARS initiatives because the payment schedule and the reimbursement schedule risk adjustment is a lot quicker than the STARS impact is. So they're hand in hand. It all boils down to serving the member well and documentation. So connecting clinical documentation for clinical metrics or risk adjustment also has an ancillary benefit with quality metrics as long as the clinical documentation is fully utilized. Having multiple purposes look at the same chart, so to speak, has efficiencies as well as reduced administrative burden with the providers. So those workflows, the risk adjustment workflows, can be leveraged for quality measures as well as case management, disease management, and utilization management as well. Right. And with all those things that you just said, I keep thinking of how the place of technology and the use of data analytics can be helpful in these areas. And so would you be able to elaborate on how healthcare organizations can better utilize their data analysis, uh, healthcare technology, to better anticipate, prepare for future changes? and how that might change even plan offerings or financial performance. So I always think about strong stars performance, and that's cultural in nature. 
plans that invest in long-term interventions, deliver and manage member expectations, tend to have long-term success and storage results. Data analytics and technology are tools that plans can deploy to enhance and deliver on these strategic initiatives. Identifying, allowing analytics and technology to identify trends earlier, deploying those resources efficiently and connecting stakeholders with limited or no delays are examples of how those analytics and technology can play a part in supporting the star ratings. We think about predictive analytics and generative AI and the two buzzwords are terms in the market these days, how they fit in identifying and potentially leading plans to outreach a bit earlier than what may have been done in the past. So the, the speed to response is a lot shorter than what we've had in the past, so, which will help engage the membership as well. I mean, I could say for myself, just my experience, I, a consumer, I know that at the time that we're recording this, this is that sort of that time of year where you're looking at your healthcare plan again, going into the next year. And I know for myself as a member, having those sort of extra benefits there of that healthcare technology, the teledocs and things like that, I know that's definitely helps me, helps me stay more organized on top of my healthcare. And I can, I tend to gravitate towards those sort of things a little bit more. So I could imagine that being the case for others, as well as future generations too. I think I feel like uh, younger people gravitate towards those more like technological helpers with their plans and staying on top of those. And could you elaborate on any financial ramifications? You mentioned like loss and star ratings earlier. And could you elaborate on the financial ramifications for healthcare organizations that might experience a loss in quality bonus payments or rebates due to their 2024 star ratings? Sure. And I hope I don't Put anybody to sleep here with this, but it's a little bit technical in nature. So I apologize in advance. So there are two financial inputs with the star ratings. The first is the quality bonus payment. And the second, which is has a lower impact, is the rebate percentage. So the way the bid process works is health plans submit their cost, cost structure to cover part Medicare parts A and part B, as well as their administrative cost and profit margin. Those costs are compared to the county benchmark. So how much a fee-for-service member would cost original Medicare, they had original Medicare. The difference between the bid amount as well and the benchmark is, the, I'll say, a, a theoretical savings. And so the quality bonus payment sits on top of the benchmark, generally around 5%. So there's you know, other factors that will increase or decrease that actual percentage, but that increases the benchmark. So everything else being equal, the quality bonus payment increases the savings difference between the bid and the benchmark because the benchmark is now higher. So plans that receive a four and a half or five star rating receive that quality bonus payment. And the second in, the second financial incentive is the rebate percentage. So at different star rating levels, that percentage could go from 50% to 70%. So obviously the higher star rating receives a higher rebate percentage so plans have additional dollars to put back into their product offering, whether that be lower premiums offsets, whether that be lower cost sharing or providing additional supplemental benefits to the membership. So those two things. Now, on the other side, if they decrease star ratings from 23 to 24, they may have lowered funds available to put back into those three aspects. 
So it becomes a product positioning and also a product market strategy perspective with either gaining or losing those funds. And what can these healthcare organizations do preemptively then to adjust product design administrative strategies to mitigate those sort of impacts? Yes, we typically sit in a three-year cycle. So we're looking at three different star years, three different bid years. And honestly, I have a grid with labels that try to keep me straight to understand which year I'm talking about. So we're at the tail end of calendar year 23, which feeds the 25 star rating, which feeds the 26 bid cycle. So as we go in, add a year to each of those numbers. So talking about the 25 star rating, which again, is calendar year 23, for the most part, since we're at the tail end of that, there are still some administrative tasks to firm up the performance. There are some activities in next year that'll feed the 25 star rating. But for the most part, it's shoring up all the activity and compliance activities are are fully submitted for the 2023 performance plan, 25 star years. So for since we're looking at calendar year 24, and it's amazing, it's like two weeks away, we're looking at 24 plan year feeding the 26 bid cycle. So start the year off fresh, have members identified for those that have historically struggled with engagement or compliance with measures, um, start off with trying to engage them early in the year because as you wait, you get, you're giving up opportunities and connection points to maximize the time that we have for calendar year 24. For 25, and that's where the plan design comes in, setting that up for 2027, stars year. So this is where we can start beginning to develop and manage member expectations of what the product design or what the plan design is going to build with that member expectations so you can meet the member expectations, so you can meet the member experience down the road. And that will impact 2028 <laughs> bids. So again, I have a grid that I refer to probably too often to understand where we are today and what we can impact today. No, perfect. And thank you for that explanation. I appreciate that. I'm sure our listeners will as well. And visual aid is probably very helpful when you're trying to pinpoint the right years and section. But speaking a little bit earlier about the use of technology, the member experience, and it occurred to me that, yeah, I mean, as you're mentioning here with this, that there are ways probably that healthcare organizations can use their technology and data analytics to enhance performance in those future star ratings, and particularly in members' engagement and a members' care coordination. Kind of describe a little bit like what or how that might be able to happen for an organization to better set themselves up for that those future stars? Yeah, I tend to think about distractions. It it's, may sound like an odd way to start answering that question, but it, distraction of achieving goals, whether that be individual or organization, what factors create noise or distract the entity from achieving its goals. So I think communicating the organization goals for star ratings should be reinforced through performance updates, communicated well, education, incentive programs, and other visible reinforcements towards that goal. In other words, be intentional and be committed to those goals from an organization collaboration perspective, incorporating input from a cross-functional work group, receiving input from those business areas that may be directly or indirectly connected with members and providers. That can help identify systematic areas of concern that will, could lead to dissatisfaction later 
So get being collaborative helps get ahead of that curve before it becomes a major exposure for the health plan and the star ratings. Identifying trends and having quick course correction can help retain member trust and guard against that negative member experience. So understanding who's doing what and what's coming down the road, so to speak, whether it be within a provider network or a benefit design, reducing that bureaucracy, internal bureaucracy and defensiveness allows organizations to take action needed as well. So I would say be observant and be aware of what's happening. And I think most important is remembering and staying true to the organization's mission that underscores performance. So when quality and members impact is integrated into the mission, taking action for improvement is second nature. So being committed again, but being firm. Certainly very critical things to keep in mind uh, in healthcare or any organization really is to stay mindful of those things and taking action. And so, I mean, when we're looking beyond 2025, how do you predict the landscape of healthcare benefits and plan designs to evolve in response to these continuous changes and star ratings? What should healthcare leaders start doing today? Looking at that big grid, <laughs> what can leaders start doing today to stay ahead in this really dynamic environment? Yeah, I like to take a step back and understand strategy. So sometimes strategy is confused with tactical. So strategy, a solid and widely accepted strategy, it can weather star rating model changes, whether they be major or minor, the initiatives to meet that strategy will change and will need to change over the years. But the strategy itself, again, if it's a, a solid and widely accepted, uh, might not need to be changed as drastically as the initiatives as would. So considering the approach, again, if it's aligned with the mission or aligned with the goals, the underlying model changes will not be as disruptive as a plan that may be reacting year after year to these model changes. So with the other aspect is with the availability of conferences and thought leadership and STARS community, uh, staying informed allows people to be up to date as well as peek a bit into the future to understand what initiatives they may need to employ. One example is the health equity index that's coming, that's going to be replacing the reward factor. The strategy, again, doesn't need to change, but the tactics or the initiatives to incorporate the, the grouping variables to understand the population mixes with the across each other will help identify areas for improvement or specific segments of population that may need a little bit more attention than they've had in the years past because the grouping cohort has been changed a bit. But again, it goes back to STARS ratings, beginning with the culture, the culture of their organization leads that benefit design with member expectations, again, leading member experience, keeping that expectation in mind, every step and input into the product design, marketing messages, sales process, onboarding benefit. So it covers everything, basically. I don't, it sounds like a cop out, but being intentional with every step in every business function that interacts with the Medicare Advantage member should align with the culture and the culture should align with SAR ratings being a result as opposed to the driver of the why. It was a great answer. That was perfect. And just in my curiosity, what does, you gave a lot of great examples there, but what would, maybe a few more specific examples of what does good culture look like maybe an example or two of that? Yeah, it goes back to that collaboration and understanding 
and being committed to start with why. Understanding and buying into the why we do something individually as well as organizationally, why we do the things we do can help with the how and the what. So understanding why we are doing things becomes who we are. It underscores that importance and that ties to the community. So personally, I look for roles and opportunities that help engage me, improve the communities that I live in, uh, whether that be professionally or personally. Those organizations I'm going to be more tied to and more invested in as opposed to more of a transactional entity. So it's relational versus transactional. Keeping the relationship in mind and at the forefront is important. Perfect. Thank you. And as we wrap it up here, Randy, who in the healthcare field would you love to have lunch with and chat and learn from? I think another benefit of living in the age we live in is having so much access to people, whether that be direct or indirect. So LinkedIn, social media, we have the ability to send a message and be fortunate enough when that message is responded to. So the interaction with today's innovators or disruptors, I think it's a little bit easier than, say, what people had in the past. And I'm always interested in those that have made positive impacts, whether that may, makes life a little bit comfortable. And it may sound a little bit off the wall, but William, Dr. William Morton with anesthesia. And I would want to know is if his advancements in that medical field, was he aware of the positive impact and I'll say that making medical procedures a lot more comfortable with the advancements in anesthesia, was he aware of what he would be impacting years down the road? So that's the way I tend to think of like those that have made other people's lives a little bit more comfortable, whether intentional or unintentional, if it was purposeful, or did Dr. Morton have in any indication of the impact of anesthesia would have on modern medicine? Yes, that's a great answer. Thank you. <laughs> well, see, if anybody's had any like dental procedures, anesthesia is key. Makes it a lot more comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great answer. Thank you so much. And to wrap things up then, Randy, could you share your vision on how the evolving landscape of star ratings, coupled with technology advancements in healthcare, how these things might shape the future of patient-centric, member-first, overall healthcare delivery? I think we'll continue movement towards that holistic, that patient-centric or that holistic view and understand maybe the non-traditional impacts to current health status. Thinking utopian, we'll be able to connect the health improvement. What we feel today, somewhat generational in habits that we had started as kids when we're invincible, you know, the behaviors and the habits developed as when I was a kid, I'm paying for it now. So investing in that wellness culture, it starts at a much younger age and more of a culture shift in terms of healthcare, food, leisure, and even like life balances. Industries, those shifts need to change in some of those industries. And so at Utopian, I don't think we'll ever get there because of the nature of our market. But ideally, we would begin investing at a much younger age to reap the rewards at a much older age. Would we do the things we do those things? Probably most of us will. There are some decisions I'd probably make differently, but understanding the long-term impact that we have 
within our own lives as well as the community. I think that again is a more of a pie in the sky type of thinking. But I think we'll get we'll move towards more of an understanding of technology and how it fits into the healthcare landscape. We talked about teledoc and the telehealth medicine. Prior to COVID, we talked a lot about mobility issues and isolation of seniors and how that can have a negative or detrimental effect in their health down the road. COVID sort of, again magnified the isolation component. Technology had a place in making the connections where we'll get to if we'll get back to that pure isolation. I hope not. But understanding the balance between the community connections that we have, as well as how technology can enhance our healthcare experience, so to speak. I think we'll understand that balance a lot more. And again, the new population that's coming into Medicare may be a lot more vocal in the adoption of that technology and its place in their lives, as well as their healthcare patterns. Perfect. Yeah, wonderfully said. And Randy, thank you so much for your expertise and your time today and this discussion on the topic. And we appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for joining me today. Laurel, I appreciate the opportunity and thank you again. Thank you. The Shaping Healthcare Podcast is brought to you by Sidious Tech, a leader in healthcare consulting and IT services. To find out more about Sidious Tech, visit SidiousTech.com. To listen to more interesting insights on healthcare technology and innovations, search and subscribe to the Shaping Healthcare podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want to share any feedback or would like to be featured in our podcast, do write to us at SidiousVision at SidiousTech.com. <laughs>